One of the things that I think is helpful in going through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, is uh, going through all four gospels consecutively is helpful. Some might say, Brad, it's kind of redundant, you know, like uh, we're gonna read stories tonight that we studied in Mark and that we studied in Matthew, but I think it's really helpful to see kind of the compare and contrast of the various gospels and see how each one sort of uh, took it. And as we see the different audiences that they were intended for, we kind of see the same stories, no contradictions, but from different perspectives. And it really is helpful if you ask me. So we'll see some of that. Some of this will be familiar to you. But here in Luke chapter eight, we have uh, the main topic I think is dealing with faith. Um, and uh, I love faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, you know, we need to have our faith built uh, because our faith can be weak. Um, but how do you build up faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So tonight, that's one of the goals is to let our faith be built up as we read this chapter. But this chapter deals with faith. And the first half of it, or verses one through 21, I should say, deals with the teaching of faith or the teaching about faith. And then the second part of it, 22 through 56, is testing of faith. So teaching on faith, and then there's a testing. One of the things that's interesting about, you know, the, the scriptures, when you read it, you'll find that when you read the word, you'll think, oh, that's so great, and then you'll be tested on it. That's why every time I go through the book of Job, I get the congregation come up, Pastor Rick, could you kind of hurry up through Job? It's, it's like our, 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 where you're at in life is where you're at in the Bible, and I've just noticed every time we hit Job, people are going through really hard times. It's like, yeah, okay, we'll hurry up. Uh, you know, it's, it's a long book, we'll just kind of, you know. But it is funny, where you're at in the Bible is where we're at in life. Um, but one of the things you'll see is as you're learning from the word, often you'll be tested on those very topics that we're learning. So that's what happens here to the disciples. Um, so Jesus is still in the Sea of Galilee area and um, we pick it up here in verse one of chapter eight. It came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the 12 were with him. I like this, you know, glad tidings is to you and me, oftentimes to us, it's a um, sort of a Christmassy sort of thing to say, glad tidings, that's a Christmas thing because you know, that's kind of angelic and the shepherds and glad tidings and stuff. But um, uh, it's cool, I love that word. I love the idea of glad tidings. Um, but the Greek word here is interesting um, and, um, and it's, it's one that you'll recognize. It's, uh, it's evangelizo. Uh, where we get the word evangelize, um, evangelism, uh, even evangelical. It all comes from this word, um, which means to tell the good news, to preach the gospel. Um, and so that's what Jesus was about. He was going about to preach the good news of the gospel. Um, you know, sometimes to, to understand the gospel, you also need to understand, the, the, you know, to understand the good news, you have to understand the bad news. And that's what we talked about last week um, when we were talking about the parachute. Uh, the plane's going down in flames and uh, you know, uh, death and hell is part of the gospel message. If you leave that part out, nobody will be thankful for the gospel. If you think, well, what's, what's, what good is being saved if you don't need to be saved or if there's nothing to be saved from? So part of the good news is to know, wow, there's really bad news. And the good news is the Lord loves us so much that he saves us. 
The gospel message, what an important uh, thing it is. And um, we should all be committed to sharing the good news, even as Jesus and his 12 disciples are going around right now, um, you know, teaching the gospel. And, and, you know, just in a nutshell, you know, this was, this was one of the main verses we shared even on Sunday. And you all know, hopefully by heart, you know, for the wages of sin is death. And then the second part of that, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the bad news and the good news all in one single verse. And this is really how you share the gospel. If you leave out the wages of sin as death part, um, then nobody will understand their need for the, the gift of God. So it's all part of the good news. And it's what that Greek word actually means, um, you know, the, the, where we get our word evangelize. Um, it's an important one. So um, one of the things I would ask, are you teaching good tidings, glad tidings? Uh, this, this is a good time to start talking about it uh, as Christmas people are more open to hearing about the gospel, I think, because Christmas time. So I, I'll look for any excuse to share the gospel. Um, but this is a time where people start talking and getting ready for uh, Christmas and stuff like that. Um, I have to confess, I already have my Christmas lights up. So there, uh, you can be bitter if you want to. But um, we as Christians are, are the light of the world. I, I just love, I love that part of Christmas and, and stuff. So we're getting there. But um, now one of the things I have to say is be careful not to major on the minors and minor on the majors. Um, there's some really great topics and great things to talk about and issues we should champion. And maybe you might even have a calling to, to champion certain issues. But don't ever forget that the gospel is the major theme. Uh, we should all be about the gospel. Uh, what do you mean, Brett? What are you talking about? Well, maybe some of you, I know some of you are gifted in the area of talking about creation versus evolution and origins and, and the battle that has raged for a long time. And that's an important discussion. If you've been around Athey Creek, well, you know we care about that topic. And I've harped on that topic for many a time. Um, but that's where you have to be careful. You don't wanna be all about evolution versus creation. Um, because if you leave out the gospel, that's the majors. You don't want to. You don't want to drop the ball on the majors. Uh, be careful. We're not majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors. Um, you know, uh, a lot of times we as Christians forget it's good news, not good views. Um, people, well, I, I believe this about that. You know, uh, whether it's you know even views about things that are really important that that I hold dear. Even if you're a Bible lover, you'll know there's there's issues. You'll we have views on abortion. We have views on evolution. We have views uh, about you know the the earth and climate change and stuff like that. But and 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 I think there's a place to talk about anything that's biblical. I'm going to talk about it's fair game. And people say, Brett, you're too political sometimes. I would challenge them on that and say. You're telling me that what I'm talking about is not in the Bible. Um, you know, we had somebody sit to comment on that when I was talking about the Arab-Israeli conflict. And uh, it's just being political, political bias and all that stuff. And it's so funny, the Bible talks so much about God's plan for Israel and the whole Arab-Israeli conflict is, is almost, you know, every other page on the Bible. Like it's all over the scriptures. But even that issue uh, pales in comparison to the issue of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to major on the mi majors and not uh, major on the minors. Be careful. Good news, not good views. Remember, Paul kind of dealt with that. We talked about that a few months back. Uh, you know, Acts chapter 19, Mars Hill, when he shared a bunch of good views. Uh, but he never once said the name of Jesus at Mars Hill, and only a few people got saved, and most people said, well, we'll hear this weirdo later. That's kind of the way that sermon went. And then later on, you know, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he said, for I have determined to know nothing save Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
Um, he, he started realizing it really is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is what Jesus is going around doing. He's going around spreading the good news, which is really cool about this. Um, well, we pick it up in verse two. And a certain woman, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chuza, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto him of their substance. This is interesting that um, one thing I just would like to point out, scholars say this would have seemed somewhat scandalous even, that there were women ministering to Jesus. I mean, you know, a lot of these religious guys look at Jesus as some sort of itinerant rabbi, a guy that's going around teaching, and they were critical of him. But, but one thing that would not have been normal for a rabbi traveling around is having, um, you know, a large group of disciples following, but also this group of women. Uh, and there's more than just these. These are the ones that are named. Um, you know, uh, you guys are familiar with Mary Magdalene, you know, but uh, this Joanna, we're gonna see her after the resurrection in, in uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 10. We'll see her come after the resurrection and still, still a follower, disciple of Jesus Christ, um, which is really cool. But I must say, you know, um, what were these ladies doing? They were, they were ministering to just the practical needs of Jesus and, and probably the disciples. Um, and Jesus was literally being cared for by these, these ladies, uh, which is really kind of cool. And it says that they were ministering out of their substance. Do you think these women were wealthy? Um, we don't know about all of them, but pretty sure that Mary Magdalene was not wealthy. What did she have for substance, you know? Did these women uh, have much to give? I think the idea is what they did have, they did give. Um, even if it was, um, it was very small. Um, and just that giving heart, you know, giving to Jesus, uh, everything they had, they, they were following Jesus, serving Jesus. Um, there's something about a person that just kind of gives their all. You know, we sing, we sing those songs, all to him I owe, you know, like, like uh, you, know, I, you know, I surrender all, you know. And I always think if this was like the early church, Ananias and Sapphira, we'd be singing that in church, I surrender all. <coughs> People just start dropping dead in the sanctuary. Uh, that'd be a bummer. And the deacons having to haul them out just like they did. And I was like, that'd be a tough day at the church. Um, but these, these, these ladies literally gave of their substance just to, to minister to Jesus. They did give what they had. Um, there's so many people that are stingy with their stuff in our modern times. Um, uh, stinginess or miserliness. Did you know there's a lady that's in the Guinness Book of World Records? How would you like to be this lady who um, is the most miserly person in history? Um, uh, her name is Hetty Green. I'll just, this is a freebie for you guys. Uh, she lived from 1834 to 1916. She made the Guinness Book, Book of World Records as the greatest miser. A miser is a person who hoards their wealth and spends as little money as possible. Um, well, the reason she goes down in history this, largely is because she was referred to the, as the witch of Wall Street. I guess she knew how to make money on Wall Street, uh, but people didn't like her. After her husband's death, she um, has this big mansion, you know, and she boarded up all the other rooms and lived in just one little room with one little small stove for heat. Um, and she would make her son go and get the newspaper. Uh, and after reading it, she'd make him fold it up neatly and go out and resell it. Uh, to make sure and get his get the money for it. Um, her son's leg was broken one afternoon, but she didn't want to pay for a doctor. She only wanted the free clinic to to you know help her son, and waited for the free clinic to open. By that time, the son's leg got bad enough uh, that it needed to be amputated. 
Um, but when she died in 1916, it was revealed that she had an estimated uh, from somewhere between 100 million to 200 million dollars. That today is the equivalent of 2.69 billion to somewhere around 5 billion in 2023. Um, that's how miserly she was. Um, you know, uh, contrary to the human nature tendency to keep stuff for ourselves and kind of make our own thing, um, these women gave everything to Jesus and his ministry. Um, I'm reminded of P Paul Bunyan's, a better example, you know, Pilgrim's Progress. Have you guys read Pilgrim's Progress? If you haven't read that, that's a must read before you die, um, I think. But um, character Joseph asks a riddle in this story, which is kind of cool. A man there was, though some did count him mad, the more he cast away, the more he had. Um, then character Gaius replies, he who bestows his goods upon the poor shall have as much again and 10 times more. Um, and the, the idea is, you know, in, you know, Christian's sort of journey through life and stuff, uh, one of the things he has to learn is that of, of just giving um, and just pouring out. Uh, you know, the psalmist, Psalm uh, 116, 12, asked, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? In other words, you, it's, it's like, how can I repay the Lord for all of his goodness toward, toward me? And the answer is we can't um, because you cannot outgive the Lord. You can't outgive the goodness of the Lord. Um, that's a good point to check ourselves. How are we at being uh, just giving rather than miserly? These ladies gave of, of their substance uh, to minister to Jesus for the cause of the gospel um, and I just admire these ladies. I, I look forward to meeting these gals someday in heaven because they're, they're special that they're named and listed right here. Well, verse four, and when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spoke by a parable. Uh, why did Jesus speak by parables? That's an interesting uh, question. And some might say, well, you know, there's kind of a clumsy way of saying it, if you ask me, and then there's, there's a more articulate way. The clumsier way is like, well, some people, he didn't want them to understand what was going on. Um, and there's sort of a truth to that. Um, do you remember in Matthew, in fact, why don't you keep your finger here and flip back to Matthew. Let's review something from our study a few months back. Uh, in Matthew uh, chapter uh, 13, in Matthew 13, Jesus told us why he spoke in parables. And this is an important thing to know. Um, Matthew 13, verse 10. It says there, and the disciples came and said unto him, why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So right out of the gate, there's some people that are gonna get it, and there's some people that are not gonna get it. This explains a lot, doesn't it? Do you ever just wonder why, man, why don't they get it? Um, people that you share the gospel to or with, uh, and they just, it's just like you, you wanna almost like slap some sense in them. What are you doing? Can you not hear what I'm saying? And there's like, I don't understand what you, what, you know, like it's like they just don't get it. And it's, it's kind of frustrating, but I do believe this speaks of, you know, God's sovereignty and predetermination and all those issues, uh, you know, that, uh, that are hard for us to figure out. Um, but at the same time, he says, but, but to them, it's not given. Verse 12, for who, whosoever hath to him shall be given and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that which he hath. 
Therefore uh, speak I to them in parables because they seeing see not and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. This is an interesting description. People that see really don't see. People that hear really don't hear. That's why, by the way, I think some of the most intellectual of people have a hard time receiving the gospel because they technically can hear and they can see, but it doesn't get through, I'll say it meanly compared to Jesus here, it doesn't get through their thick skull. They're hard-hearted. Uh, but Jesus is saying some people are just not gonna get it. Even though they see and have ears, they're not gonna get it. Um, therefore, verse 13, speak I unto them uh, in parables because they seeing, see not, hearing, they hear not. Verse 14, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, by hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. Isn't it interesting that Jesus talks about this idea of some people just aren't gonna really get it. Um, this is an important thing, and, and especially when it comes to the next parable we're about to learn, um, because it's frustrating. You know, as a pastor teaching the Bible, I would just love for everyone to receive the word of God. It's heartbreaking when someone hears the word and they just reject it. It's so sad to see that. And you wanna you know, try to speak harder somehow or, or be more intense somehow. And, and yet even when Jesus would speak the word, people would walk away and reject what he had to say. Um, and Jesus was perfect. So don't feel bad when you're sharing the gospel and people, some people will not get it. What's the ratio? What's the percentage of people that are probably gonna get it? Um, it's, it's a, it's, I'm not sure I'd die on this battlefield, but I think it's around 25%. 25%. Why, why do you say that, Brett? Well, let's go back to our text here in Luke. It's Luke chapter eight where we were. And what's the first parable that Jesus talks about? Check this out. It's, uh, it's the parable of the sower. So he's speaking now uh, to them in parables. By the way, the word parable uh, is an interesting you know, Greek word, parabole, which means uh, a parallel or a placing of one thing by the side of another, comparison of one thing with another, likeness or similitude. So that's the idea. Jesus is saying, it's kind of like this, and he tells a story. Um, this is how it is, and it's a way to explain stuff. Now, when Jesus uses parables, they're multi-layered, multifaceted, uh, rich in meaning, and that's, that's the strength of, and the power of a parable. But some people will just not have ears to hear, hear that. Uh, so that's interesting. Question is, do you have ears to hear the parables of Jesus? You probably do because you're here tonight. Most people don't come to a Wednesday night Bible study unless they're hearing or willing to hear what the word actually says. So that's a good sign. This is the fact that you're here. That's kind of cool. Uh, well, let's read this parable. Verse five, it says there, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell by a rock or upon a rock, 
and as soon as it sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Boy, this is an interesting thing for Jesus to cry out. It's not that he says, he that has ears to hear, he cries it out. With, with there's, a, there's some kind of a, a, maybe a passion that we miss in the other gospels in the telling of this story, where Jesus cries out, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, and this is an important thing for us to listen to, and he tells us to listen up on this, you know, this idea. Um, well, verse nine, his disciples asked him, saying, what might this parable be? And he, said unto, uh, said, and he said, unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. Now, pause for a second. This is a great chance for me to show you the difference between Matthew and Luke. Matthew, I just read to you a whole section of Matthew about what a parable is. And here Luke gives one verse to that. Um, and I think that's interesting because um, Matthew was there when Jesus said that. Luke wasn't. Luke's getting you know, his information sort of secondhand. So there's, in, in Matthew's account, there's some, some interesting detail that we miss here in Luke. Luke only gets one verse to that whole thing. Well, here's what a parable is. But I, I, we saw the deeper definition Jesus gave there in Matthew. That's why you gotta love having all the gospels, the harmony of the gospels. Just I wanted you to see that. So he now explains that. Um, and then in verse 11 is where Jesus starts telling us, uh, you know, the definition. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's four soil conditions. We'll call it the hard soil, the shallow soil, the crowded soil, and the good soil. Let's, let's kind of break this down. Um, soil number one, the hard soil, um, it says here in verse 11, now the parable uh, is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So the seed just bounces off the ground. Why does it bounce off the ground? Well, it's by the wayside. If you're in a, in a farmer's field, they till the soil and it becomes fertile and fluffy and you know, they get it all ready for the seed so that it penetrates the, the ground and, and grows roots. But this seed just sort of bounces off the ground because it's by the wayside. That's where everybody walks. There's others that have walked there. Um, the footpath around the perimeter of the field was the wayside. And the seed would kind of go over there and it'd just bounce off the hard ground that hadn't been really uh, prepped by the farmer, the sower, which is, you know, the Lord himself, the sower of the seed. But it's been sort of trodden down by other people. The edge of the field where you walk. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, the soil is the heart of man, the heart's condition. The seed is the word of God. The hearts that have been walked on before by others, you might say preconceived ideas or notions. This is one of the things that I think is tragic that's happening today. And mom and dad, be aware of this. Are your kids being walked on philosophically, ideologically, spiritually? Are they being walked on by the video games they're playing? by their teachers in their schools, um, definitely in their colleges and universities. You see, one of the things that makes the word just bounce off some hard soil is if your kids are, if you're letting them get trodden down by others' 
so that the seed just bounces off. Now, when then it says, you know, the birds of the air come and pick that seed that just bounced right off the ground, the birds of the air come and pick it up and fly away. Um, that's, that, here Jesus says, that's Satan. Then they, you know, it says, the, the, you know, the, uh, the, the devil comes. Then comes the devil and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Be careful. Make sure, mom and dad, one of your jobs is to sort of prep the hearts of your children to receive the word of God and be soft to that. And there's gonna be plenty of influences. And, and sadly, the influences come to our young people earlier and earlier. And how much screen time, you know, kids that are three, four, and five years old are already consuming. And what kind of influences are they having? And I'm sad to say, I think we're, we're kind of losing that battle, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, and it's something we have to be aware of. And how does the devil come and just pluck the seed out of your kids' hearts or, or anybody's heart for that matter? It's, it's when it just bounces off the soil. It's been preconditioned by the world that's walked all over it. Um, uh, preconceived notions about Jesus. Um, it's interesting, it, you know, also kind of speaks to that nature versus nurture kind of idea. You know, in our world, you know, what prenatal influence or, uh, or, or is it just nature? You know, and, and our world is kind of taking a funny view on that, you know, that are boys and girls different? Or do they just grow up where boys, uh, as soon as they find a stick, they're gonna make a gun? Um, if you're a parent and you're honest, you understand there's just a difference between boys and girls. Um, and, you know, these parents will say, we're just gonna let our kids grow up and find out whatever gender they're going to be. If they're honest, they're gonna find out real soon. Uh, there, there's just a, uh, it's, it's, you, can, you can argue it's nature uh, versus nurture or whatever, but I'm gonna say um, boys will find anything and turn it into a weapon. That's just what's gonna happen. Um, and um, well, there's no guns in our house, and although there will be if you have a little boy. Um, uh, some of it's naturally built into us. Others things are from nurturing and what happens in our lives. And you have to understand, um, there are those things that, um, that uh, you know, the enemy wants to have trodden down uh, the hearts of your kids early, the hard-hearted you know, uh, teachers or TV shows or movies or music or social media. It's just constantly pounding away at our kids' hearts. And don't be shocked if they take all that stuff in if the word just bounces off their heart. Don't be shocked about that. You know, you don't wanna overly isolate your kids either, which is tricky. We're living in tricky days, honestly, to be a parent. I'm reminded of John 17, verses 14, 15. I have given them thy word, and the world had hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. That's the goal as parents and as people, to keep ourselves and our loved ones you know, we're in the world, but not to make them of the world. And the world is evil. And, and if, you, if you receive the seed of the word, the world's gonna hate you because we're not of this world. So we shouldn't be shocked when all this happens, but um, it reminds us, you know, don't let your, the TV be your kid's babysitter. Uh, are, are, are your kids preschool teachers? Or, you know, even be careful if you're, if you're well, my kids go to Christian school. Uh, be careful, that may or may not be great. Uh, I can just say I've seen some Christian school teachers who have misled kids biblically, um, which is, you gotta be careful. You can't just you know, think, well, I, I, can, I can take a vacation, mom and dad, because, uh, because our teachers at Christian school are taking care of it for us. Uh, be careful, I've seen how that even 
uh, goes awry. It's your job, not the teacher. It's the mom and dad's job to make sure the seed of the word. That's just one example. Uh, we can talk about all of us, really. So the first condition is the hard soil. Uh, there, uh, and it's both in um, uh, you know verse five and also verse twelve. And for every there's there's the the, the parable, uh, verse five through eight. And then there's the answers, you know, verses 12 through 15. So uh, the, the first one's hard soil. The second one is the shallow soil is what we'll call it. Verses six and 13. Verse 13, and they on the rock are they, the, you know, seed that fell on the stony ground, um, which are when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. Did you know in Israel, um, Israel's famous for its limestone. When you see Jerusalem and you realize, wow, everything's the same color, um, there's a, like a building code. You, you can't paint your house red or, or brown. Uh, in Israel, you have to have Jerusalem limestone. That's what everything's made of. And it's all the same color. But with that, it's kind of interesting. When you, when you go all over the region of Israel, there's Jerusalem limestone everywhere. There's usually just a thin layer of dirt over the limestone itself. Um, you, just a thin layer of dirt and you hit limestone. So the farmers in Israel know about this whole, it's just a thin layer of dirt that you throw the seed on, but it's really rocky. So it doesn't grow, the, there's no root. It might spring up just a little at first, but it doesn't root well. So, you know, sun is good for plants. Hey, photosynthesis, right? But if you don't have roots to pull up the moisture and the nutrients out of the ground, that sun is not gonna be good. It's gonna scorch the plant um, and, and uh, it's gonna die. So the parable here, the sun equals the testing that comes to all the professing believers to sort of test their faith. The sun trials, um, you know, can feed and grow uh, the roots to dig deeper or expose the shallowness that somebody who's not deeply rooted. And that's, the, that's the, the example here. These people are the ones that the seed hits their heart and they go, wow, that's awesome. Uh, who, who are those people? I don't know, but uh, maybe, uh, maybe they're kind of like creatures. What's a creaster? People that go to church on Christmas and Easter. That's a good sermon, Reverend Metter. I can always tell people that aren't real atheist creakers, uh, most holy Reverend Father. Yeah, that's not me. Uh, but um, but uh, I, am, I am Brett and uh, I'll teach. And, and it's funny, people come and just say, oh yeah, Christmas, Easter. But is, is the word rooting in their heart? Probably not, that's the thing. It's not that we don't want people here for Christmas and Easter but we hope that somewhere that seed will hit the soil of their heart and maybe start to get a little deeper uh, because that's, that's gonna keep them. When the sun goes up and starts scorching their lives, uh, Christmas and Easter is not gonna do it for you. You need a, more of a, of a rootedness in the, the seed of the word of God. Um, that's, that's why AC Creek, we spend really our time just with going through the Bible and we make that an emphasis because we think that's what the church is supposed to do, emphasize the word of God. And that's, it needs to bring forth good fruit. So that's the problem here. Jesus has been, some seed fell on them, but notice they rejoice uh, when they receive it. Uh, but then it has no root. God forbid that happens here at Athe Creek. We wanna root all of ourselves deeply. Well, soil condition number three is the crowded soil. Verse seven and 14. Jesus said in verse 14, and that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with the cares and the riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit, fruit uh, to perfection. 
Here we have a little more Luke gives us, not just the cares and the riches of this world, but, but the pleasures as well. These are the things, the thorns that choke out. So the seed is there, but there's other seed mingled. And boy, we've done studies on the mingling of seed as something Satan wants to do. Um, Satan is the one who sows the, the, the tares among the wheat. Um, yeah, we can even talk about the mingling of seed all the way back in Genesis when we're talking about human seed with the sons, Genesis 6, the sons of men coming into the daughters of, of, um, of uh, men and this weird sexual relationship that brings forth the Nephilim. If, you're, if you know that whole thing in Genesis chapter six, it was a corruption of human seed to corrupt the line of um, you know, uh, humanity, but I think even more importantly to co corrupt the line of Jesus himself, um, which is kind of an interesting discussion. We don't have time to go into. We've, we've done that in other times, but um, the corrupting of seed, mingling and mixing seed is something Satan wants to do. So these thorns are sown and, and suddenly you've got this crowded soil, crowded with the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the pleasures that people uh, care about. Um, you know, uh, you know, these are the things that we have to watch out for. Uh, it's funny how it breaks it into these three. Riches, I think, is one of the easiest ones to show in the Bible, how it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Wealth and money or the love of money, you know, is, is a problem. In fact, the love of money is the root of all evil, the Bible says. So riches, that can be something that's thorns that makes the word of God get choked out. How does that work out? Man, some people would rather worry about their finances and then care about letting the word penetrate the soil of their heart and letting good fruit come. They care more about their finances and their career than they do about the word of God. Um, the person in poverty, even, you know, the cares, uh, you know, cares in general, things you're worried about, uh, that can choke out the word of God. Even if you're in poverty and you care about other stuff, you're more caring about your situation then you can care about the word. That'll choke out the seed of the word. Pleasures, every person wants pleasure and desires pleasures, um, but you gotta be careful because in pursuing of your pleasures, um, you know, one of the things you can do is go so crazy on that is you'll choke out the word. A lot. You'll, you care more about your own pleasure than you care about um, the word. I'm reminded of the Psalmist 37 verse four, delight thyself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's not that he's gonna give you everything you want. It's he's gonna change your desires. When you delight in the Lord, the things you desire become different. And that's what the word of God will do. It'll change your desires. So what do you care more about? Do you, uh, are you more caring about what's going on in this life, your poverty or riches or your pleasures? You gotta watch out. In your own personal devotion time, you know, do you skip that to, to do other things where you're reading the word and praying, um, trying to get ahead at work or pushing the snooze button in the morning um, or you know, uh, you know, working on how to juggle life and all the busyness? Um, you, know, you have to be careful not to let that choke out the word of God. Uh, America, um, we are known for excess. Um, everything we do is big, large, um, we don't, we don't know what moderation tends to be. In fact, much of the world laughs at us. Um, I like some of our big stuff. Uh, when you travel to Europe, have you ever noticed how small their refrigerators are? It's totally ridiculous. I'm sorry, I'm glad we have big refrigerators. I also like we have big washer and dryers. Have you ever noticed how small? Like there's, and they think we're just so excessive in our big you know, trucks. I like big trucks. I fit in big trucks. Um, <laughs> 
there's, there's a reason some of us, is, we, we eat too much, so we need big trucks. It's like, uh, you know, come on, figure it out. But, um, but, but it is interesting, you know, Philippians 4, 5 says, let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. But, um, but it's interesting because some of the stuff we do as Americans is, uh, you know, we do tons of sports, we eat tons of food, we have tons of clothes, more cars, more houses, um, and, and it's almost like we want more, more, more. The more we have, the more we want. And it's these kinds of cares that can choke out the word. There are areas we need to become more moderate, I'm afraid. Um, and it's good to travel to places that don't have as much. I've been, had the blessing of going to places that have almost nothing. And uh, man, it's humbling, it's very humbling. But I've seen also where they have a love for the word because they have nothing else. Whereas we love so much of what we have, we kind of throw the word off, say, yeah, whatever, the word of God. Um, have you ever seen stories of the persecuted church in, like, like in China, where they'll take just single pages of the Bible and memorize them and then pass them on to their underground church neighbors just because they're so coveting the word of God. They're, they're, you know, it's dangerous to own a Bible, um, but there's people that will put their lives on the line just to read the word of God. Um, we, we can let stuff just choke it out if we're not careful. So soil number one, hard soil. Soil number two, shallow soil. Soil number three, crowded soil. And then the fourth condition is good soil, verse eight and verse 15. It says in verse 15, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. There's so much right there. We could just camp out on that verse the rest of the night. Did you see what it says? What is good soil? This is great. Honest and good heart. Do you approach the Bible with an honest and good heart? Some people approach the Bible and read it judging the Bible. The honest and good heart lets the Bible judge them. And you hear what the Bible has to say and you submit yourself to it. Um, you know, why are we here tonight? Are you here to have an honest and good heart? Say, let's, let's be really open to hearing and reading and receiving the word of God. Or do you approach it more with your mind made up saying, well, we'll see what Pastor Brett has. And if I agree with them, then I think it's good. But if I don't agree with what the Bible says there or what Brett's saying, um, not that I have all the truth, I'm just saying, there's, I've noticed there's people that disagree with me, but actually they're really disagreeing with what the Bible says. And it's kind of a hard thing. Uh, and there's people that do approach the Bible kind of not necessarily with an honest and true heart. Um, you know, you gotta take to teaching the, uh, the word of God to heart. Um, you know, when I was a younger um, uh, Bible teacher, uh, someone upset would come and, uh, about something that I said, and it was just something, um, you know, from the word. But I remember hearing a pastor once say something, and, and I always imagine this because a lot of times, sometimes, you know, I'm open. I, like, I'll, I'll check myself and say, did I misspeak? Did I say something inaccurate or wrong? Uh, because I, I'm open to that. I wanna be correctable. Um, but at the same time, I've noticed that oftentimes, it's, you know, it's the old saying that one pastor shared with me, when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, you know the dog that got hit by the one who yelps the loudest. And some people go, well, I don't know if I like what you said about alcohol, Pastor Brett. Oh yeah, well, what did you like about, you know, you're, well, you're not supposed to drink alcohol. Well, is that what I said? I didn't say that. I, I, I never said that. Uh, yes, you did. No, I just I encouraged moderation and, and maybe an idea of abstinence for alcohol is a, is a good idea, but I would never, you know, but there's people that just argue, argue, argue. And, and you know what? The person that comes and yelps the loudest, they're probably an alcoholic. 
I can almost guarantee. Um, or some, they've got some problem with alcohol and they're yelping the loudest because they got hit by the word of God. That's what happens. Uh, it's interesting. So all that to be careful, don't be that person. If it's truth from the word, let it penetrate the soil. Even if your hard heart is a little bit not really ready for the seed, it's, be careful with that. Um, uh, having an honest heart. But notice it's not just having an honest heart, but also it says there, uh, I love this, it says, you know, um, verse 15, uh, honest and good heart, having heard the word and keep it. That's a key right there. You know, James talks about how we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only, but it's the person who hears the words and keep, keep the word. Um, and then bring forth fruit, verse 15, um, with patience. This is where you gotta realize the word, you know, is something that requires patience. Um, we, don't, we don't have a fast food faith. We have more of a farming type faith where you have to wait for the farm to grow, the, you know, the, the, the soil to bring forth good fruit and you'll see good fruit, but it takes time. Farming takes patience. Uh, letting the word do what it's gonna do in your life takes patience. We're, we're so wanting stuff right here and now. Um, this isn't fast food faith, but it's faith where you're called to be patient. I'm reminded of Galatians 6, 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season we'll reap a harvest if we faint not. There's a, a patience that's required. Um, and good fruit. I grew up on a little farm. We had an orchard on our farm. It was maybe, I'm gonna say maybe 30 or 40 trees. But one row was apples. One row was, uh, was peaches. One row was um, pears. Uh, you know, we had, we had all these great rows and it was great because we always had really good fruit on those. But um, one thing I observed, I was the kid, we didn't have a fancy irrigation system. I was the irrigation system. <laughs> during the summer, and I'd just literally uh, go stand out there. I'd have to maintain these little, um, little uh, dirt, uh, you know, circumferences around the tree to make sure water would kind of settle in there. But I would also just stand there with the hose. All summer long, just every day. And um, a lot of time to think when you're standing there as a nine-year-old kid watering each of the 60 trees. Um, but I, one thing I observed, I never once saw a tree struggling to produce fruit. I never once saw a tree going, okay, apple, apple, hey, apple. Never saw that. Peach, 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 peach. Never saw that. I didn't see the branches shaking. You know what I just saw? It's just a tree just sitting there. And, and the tree was stuck in the ground and it would receive the water that I put on there um, but the tree would just sit there and it reminds me of John you know, 15. Jesus said, abide in me. Like I am the vine, you are the branches, just abide, hang in there, just, just hang on, be patient and you'll bring forth good fruit. And this is part of what it is. You, know, you might say, I don't know if the Bible's working for me. Just hang in there and just let the word do its thing, take root and start to be nourished from the ground, if you would, receive the rooted nourishment. That's this idea of this, this imagery that Jesus is presenting. It requires patience, and that's what it says here. Jesus even says, um, you know, watch out for this. Uh, keep the word, and it'll bring forth good fruit, but it says, but keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. That's the thing he says. Um, be patient, and you'll see good fruit in your life. Uh, don't be the fast food American Christian who wants it right here and now. Be patient, watch out. That's a hard one. Uh, I wonder if some of us need to hear that perhaps tonight. Well, uh, verse, uh, verse 16, 
Um, he doesn't just leave, by the way, this idea of the, the sower and the word. Uh, he, it might sound like it, but he's not leaving. Verse 16, no man, when he hath lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick that they which enter in may see the light. Um, for nothing in, is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Take heed, therefore, how you hear. For whosoever hath, uh, hath, to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken, even that which he seems to have. This gets back to the person who's able to hear the parable and the person who doesn't. But the person who's able to hear it, um, it's not just hearing, but how you hear. Are you receptive? You'll, you'll be held accountable for what you've been given and what you hear. So listen intently and carefully and don't hide your light under a bushel is the idea. Um, this is a brief discussion, by the way, compared to what we went over in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew, this was a much longer thing with the same general idea. So um, if you wanna go into a more full account of this idea, you can go back and uh, check out our Matthew teaching, Matthew chapter 13. But what you do with the fruit, once you have it, truth of the word was not meant to be, you know, only hoarded to yourself. Don't hide it under a bushel, the light, but let everybody else see the room lit up. Um, you'll be held accountable for what you've been given. Uh, so this is really a continuation of the parable of the sower that we just read, this, this idea. It's not a separate issue. Verse 19, then came to him his mother and his brethren and could not come at him for the press. That was too many people. And it was told him by certain which said, thy mother and thy brother stand without desiring to see thee. And he answered and said to them, my mother and my brethren are those, are these which hear the word of God and do it. Now, I like the way this is put here in Luke. Some of the other uh, gospels put it, and you're like, man, it just seems so mean. Jesus doesn't care about his mother. But that's not what's going on here. Jesus obviously loves his mother and cares about his brothers. Um, and, and just by the way, Jesus did have brothers and sisters. Um, they were just, we might call them half brothers and sisters because they were the sons and daughters of Joseph and Mary. Um, by the way, uh, also, uh, Joseph was probably not alive. Most scholars believe by this time, Joseph was probably dead. Um, in the first century, uh, I think the life expectancy was like 47. That was your average life expectancy back in those days. So, um, you know, a guy didn't live that long in those days. They didn't have quite the medical uh, wonders that we have today to, to keep us going, uh, hopefully. But, um, but all that to say, uh, so it's his mother and his brother's family. He's not disrespecting them, but he's using this as a teaching moment in these parables. He's still talking about the parable of the sower. And they say, your mom and brothers and sisters are out there. And he says, who, who really is my mother and my brothers? It's those that hear the word and do it. Again, he's still on the same topic, um, and which means you're part of the family of God. If you're, if you're a person who hears the word and does it, then you're part of Jesus's family. That's what Jesus is saying. Um, and the body of Christ, however you wanna put it, that's, that's what Jesus, Jesus is not disrespecting his mom and family. He's taking advantage of the teaching moment. Um, that, uh, that he wants them to be hearers and doers um, of the word of God. By the way, um, th there's, a, there's a secret in this that I've found um, that is kind of important. One of the things I love about being a part of a church is the family feel that we have. 
If you've been around Athe and if you're here and you feel like, man, this is like a family, that's great. It is harder, I think, the bigger the church, the harder it is in some ways. But I also know there's a bunch of people that make up excuses thinking, well, it's just a big church, so you can't really get plugged in. Um, I've found that there's, there's, there's actually a crowd out there that uses that as an excuse. You know, it's an amazing thing, but I, I, I see it all the time. There's people that get plugged in at Athe and get to know people and are part of the family. And there's people who are not, yeah, it's just full of a bunch of clicks. That's what you'll hear people talk about with churches. And I don't hear that at Athe Greek as much, but I, I know there's people that probably go out there and say stuff like that about our church. Oh, it's just a click. If, you, if you're part of the group, you'll be accepted. But here's the truth of the matter that I found. You'll be part of the family uh, of this church and hopefully any church, um, like bro- mothers and brothers and sisters, if, listen, if you hear the word and do it. If you wanna come to church and say, ah, so, I, so what, I smoke weed and I have sex outside of marriage, um, don't judge me. Um, uh, and, and, and we're saying, well, that's called sin. If you do those things, that's called sin. Well, I don't, you're not, you, you're judge, don't judge. You're just a click, all you guys at Athey Creek. Yeah, I guess so. We click with the word and we wanna hear what it says and we wanna do what it says. And don't be shocked if you feel out of the group, if you're saying, I, I, I wanna be part of Athey Creek, but I don't wanna really do what the word says. Now, I know there's gonna be those that say, you guys are just being judgy. No, it's, it's, here's the truth of the story. We're doing our best. We're, we're just natural sinners ourselves. We, the, the way the water naturally flows is to be a wacko, stupid sinner. That's all of us. What we're doing here at Athe is saying, we know we're not perfect. We know we all make mistakes, but at least we're gonna really try. We're gonna try to follow God's word and keep it. That's like, we're gonna do our best. Now, if you come along and say, that's great, but I just don't like this part of the word, so I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna move in with my girlfriend and, and my boyfriend, and we're gonna live together, uh, but we really wanna be a part of the young adult group and, and stuff. But yeah, so what? We're living, don't judge us. But see, here's the problem. You're joining a part of the family that's saying, yeah, everybody with a pulse wants to go move in and have sex with someone. Um, but as it turns out, the Bible says that's wrong. So we're doing our best to live our lives to not do that stuff. And then you come along and and say, I I can do that. I'm just gonna openly do it. But you still wanna be part of the family? Do you see how that doesn't really work very well? You guys know what it's like when when you have family that doesn't believe the same worldview. Thanksgiving's a coming. (laughs) You know what this is like, the people that sit at the table and have a totally different worldview. It's kind of hard to be family sometimes. The difference between your family at Thanksgiving um, is you, you can have all kinds of harebrained worldviews at your t- dinner table at Thanksgiving and who knows who's right or who's wrong. Here's the thing about a church family that's different. We have sort of our, our word that spells out everything we wanna do and be right here. And none of us claim to have it perfect, but we're saying this is our guideline. And if we're gonna openly, just boldly say, no, we're not gonna do this thing, then you're probably not gonna fit in very well. I'm just gonna say that. It's not that we're judging you uh, or we're you know, condemning you even. Uh, your sin condemns you a little bit, especially if you're unrepentant. Um, but you're not gonna fit in really necessarily. Don't be shocked. Um, you'll hear people say, I've been hurt by the church. Church hurt. No, you're just a sinner and the church didn't agree with what you were doing. Well, why didn't the church agree with me? Because... I'm not gonna say every time, and I know churches do hurtful things. I understand that there's, there's a case to be made for that. But a lot of the time, I think, it's the church just saying we're trying to go with what the word of God says. 
And there's some people that say, we don't like that. And so we've been hurt by the church. It's such a funny little thing. We've become a whiny, complaining little bunch of people here in America. And really, if you wanna be truthful about it, it's just that people are rebellious. People are rebellious. You might say, well, Brett, what if I don't agree with A.C. Creek's view of what the Bible says about something? Totally understand, find a church that does and go to that church. Plug in, be submitted, do your best to follow what the church is teaching. Well, Brett, there is no church that I agree with. That's because you're a big sinner. Um, like here, there's no lone interpretation of scripture. Uh, that's something you should know. Uh, if you're the lone ranger Christian that says, oh, all the churches are wrong and, and wacko, um, I smell a rat. Um, and I think you have to be careful about that. Now I know there's some people gonna not like what I just said, but I don't care. Anyway, uh, no, I, I do care. I, I would say to anyone who wants to come into the family at eighth grade, man, we want you to come in. But to be part of the family, Jesus said, if you wanna be my brethren and my mother and all that stuff, you're gonna do that which hear the word of God and do it. That's the goal. If you're purposefully not hearing the word of God and not willing to do it, don't be shocked if you don't feel like you're part of the church family. I've already taken way too much time on that and I have a lot of verses left. Verse 22 is where we kind of move on to the second, we saw the teaching on faith Verses one through 21, now we have the testing of faith. Verse 22 and onward. It says in verse 22, now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples and said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him saying, master, master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said unto them, where's your faith? And they, said, and they being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, what manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. We looked at this on Sunday, um, and we talked about why should I become a Christian? Because uh, you say, I go through storms of life and I go through difficulties. Yeah, but that's part of, the, part of the promise of being a Jesus follower. You're gonna go through storms, but I'd rather go through the storms with Jesus in my boat, even if he is asleep. And we talked about that. Storms will come, storms will go, but God's word remains true. And we looked at that on Sunday. Well, verse 26, and they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And he went forth to the land and there met him out of the city, a certain man which had devils a long time and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. Um, this, this, what a sad situation. This guy's demon possessed, running around naked, um, living in the tombs. Uh, I wonder how much of the stuff we see, you know, in the homeless world around Portland is drug-induced only. But it's funny, the, the word of God compares drugs, uh, the word pharmakia in the Greek, but it also deals with the demonic. Uh, the, the word pharmakia is linked to not only drugs, but also to demonic stuff. And we've got all these people, you know, I was downtown just the other day and I saw this naked guy running down the street. Um, you know, it's not unusual to see that. 
Um, but you start to go, man, that's almost like biblically proportioned. Some of these people that are, you know, and it makes you sad for them. And you, 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 know, you, wanna, you wanna pray and say, Lord, if that person's demon possessed, you know, would you deliver that person? And would they be saved, you know? And, and it's something to be thinking about and praying about. You know, we're trying to figure out how do you fix the homeless problem in Portland? Uh, um, and we could, we could ascribe it to political leaders, um, which I think we can blame some of them. But it also has to do with drugs and it also has to do with demonic entities. And it's a spiritual thing that we wrestle against here. Something to pray about for sure. Well, this is that guy, verse 28. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God, the most high? Isn't it funny how even the demon guy was acknowledging Jesus. Uh, the religious leaders wouldn't do it, but the demon possessed guy was, don't forget, the devil believes in Jesus. Um, the demons believed in Jesus. And it's, it's clear right here. Uh, Jesus, thou son of God most high, I beseech thee, torment me not. For, verse 29, he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it had caught him. And he was kept bound with chains and in fetters. And he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him saying, what is thy name? And he said, legion, because many devils entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was there a herd of many swine feeding on the mountain and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them and he suffered them or allowed them. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake where they were choked or drowned. When they that fed them saw that was done, the feeders of the pigs, they fled and went and told them the city and the country. And they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they also, which saw it, told them by what means he was possessed of the devils was healed. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them for they were taken with great fear. And he went up into the ship and returned back again. Now the man of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him for they were all waiting for him. Back at the Hall of Justice in, in you know, Capernaum area, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. What a great story here. The man of the tombs, man of the Gadarenes. And we've done in-depth, in fact, probably the most in-depth study I did was in Mark's gospel where we did this, um, this story of the man of the tombs. Um, it says here that um, you know, this man had a legion which in Roman terms, that would have been 6,000, 6,000 demons in this guy. I wonder if there were 6,000 pigs. That's a lot of devil damn. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but this man of the tombs, you know, um, uh, what a sad story. Um, the, one of the things that I, I marvel on this story, and I'll remind us, is there were three prayers asked of Jesus. 
Um, we, we lose it in this one. In um, Mark's gospel says, and they prayed that Jesus would leave at the coast. Um, and stuff like that, they use the word prayer. But here the word is besought. In verse 31, we have the first prayer, um, the prayer of the demons. Um, you know, uh, it says in verse 31, and they, the demons, besought him um, that he would not command them to go into the deep. What's the deep, by the way? Does anybody know what the deep is? The bottomless pit, which is the abuso or the abyss. Um, it's where certain demons are put where they're not allowed to come out, but they will come out during the tribulation period. That's, that's not gonna be a good day on the earth when the abyss is opened up. Uh, but that's a whole nother story. But they're saying, don't make us go into the abyss is kind of what they're saying. And let us go into these pigs over here. Um, so so let's, let's talk about these three prayers that were prayed. Prayer number one, prayer of the demons. Um, and question, um, what was the answer to the prayer of the demons? Yes or no? Yes. He said yes. So okay, so chalk that down. First prayer, Jesus' answer was yes. The second prayer is verse 37. The whole multitude of the country. These are the Gadarenes. Um, they besought him, it says there, same word, prayer. They besought him to depart from them for they were taken with great fear. And so Jesus went back into his ship and returned to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He left them. Um, so they said, please leave us. So the second prayer is the prayer of the Gadarenes. Did Jesus answer yes or no? Yes. But this is where it gets interesting to me. Um, the third prayer was the demon-possessed guy in his right mind. It's there in verse 38. Now the man of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. Oh, the guy wants to hang out with Jesus. Surely that's a yes, right? But it's a no. This is interesting. The prayer of the saved man got the only negative from Jesus. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus loved that guy. Sometimes the, the people Jesus loves gives a no. And sometimes you think, but I just wanna hang out with you, Jesus. is like, no, go home. Tell people about this. <laughs> like, like he had a bet, bigger and better plan for the man of the tombs. And I think it's important to, to notice that. The wacko people of the story, the demons, Jesus said, okay, granted. The, the cr crazy Gadarenes who said, get Jesus out of here. The Gadarenes, we've talked about who they, they were the men of the, the men, you know, centuries later of Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh that stayed on the wrong side of the Jordan River. It's a long story. But no wonder they're raising pigs by this time. Not very kosher thing to do. But what a horrible thing. These people cared more about their, their pigs than they cared about people. Uh, and uh, they could care less about the devil, devil possessed guy but they cared a lot about their pigs, which were not supposed to be Jews' possession anyway. Um, I love that um, poem, Rabbi, be gone thy powers, bring loss to us and ours. Our ways are not as thine. Thou lovest men, we love swine. Oh, get you hence omnipotence and take this fool of thine. His soul, what care we for his soul? What good is that to us that you've made him whole? Since we have lost our swine, and Christ went away sadly. He had wrought for them a sign of love and hope and tenderness divine. They wanted swine. Christ stands without your door and gently knocks. But if your gold or swine, the entrance blocks, he forces no man's hold. He will depart and leave you to the treasures of your heart. No cumbered chamber will the master share, but one that's swept bare by cleansing fires then plenished fresh and fair with meekness and humility and prayer. There will he come, yet coming, even there, he stands and waits and will no entrance win. 
until the latch be lifted from within. I like that little poem that kind of compares us to the people of Gadara, the Gadarenes. But um, hopefully we wouldn't say, we care more about our possessions than we do about people. Um, And Jesus, they said, get out of here. We don't want any part of you because of their possessions. Their prayer, um, you may have helped someone else, but you've ruined our pig farm, so leave us. And Jesus said, yes, okay. Uh, Pretty sad part of the story. Well, quickly, uh, verse 40, Uh, notice it says that when he finally got home, they gladly received him. I love that part, that they they were glad to see Jesus back on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But verse 41, it says, and behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come to his house. For he had uh, one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. So this is probably familiar to you. The ruler of the synagogue, uh, Jairus, uh, probably a wealthy, powerful kind of Jewish guy, uh, one who was in charge of many, sort of the head hog at the trough. Uh, probably shouldn't use that term for a Jewish guy, but, um, but uh, he was kind of the guy. And, and so Jesus is now on his way. And if, if you remember, we studied this in, in Matthew chapter eight. Uh, we did a whole sermon on this, this whole section. In fact, what happens on his way to Jairus' daughter, verse uh, 43, it says, and a woman having an issue of blood 12 years had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could he, uh, he be healed of any, um, came behind him and touched the border of his garment and immediately her issue of blood staunched or dried up. And Jesus said unto, uh, said, who touched me? <laughs> when all denied, Peter and they that were with them said, Master, the multitude throngs thee and press thee. And sayest thou, who touched me? And, Peter, and Peter's always saying the goofy stuff. Um, and Jesus said, somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what curse she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole, go in peace. Uh, The study we did on this um, in uh, Mark chapter five and Matthew chapter eight, we talked about not just being healed, but whole. And that was the big difference with this. Jesus didn't wanna just you know, heal this woman, but he healed her, but made her whole. Don't miss that if you wanna pick up the further study. We did that in, in Mark chapter five. Well, verse 49, and while he yet spake, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue's house saying, Tim, thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. So remember, he was on his way to Jairus's house, but after stopping with the woman of the issue of blood, now he turns around and starts going back. Okay, let's get back over to Jairus's house. And the guy comes out, don't worry about it. She's, she's already dead. But, verse 50, when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the, of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her, but he said, weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out, and took her by the hand and called saying, maid, arise. And her spirit came again and she arose straightway and he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. 
The raising of Jairus' daughter, there's so many things here that's so cool. Um, we've gone over this again in previous studies, but one of the things, when you're believing things of God, um, don't forget there's gonna be scoffers. That's, a, that's just a normal thing, scoffers. Um, uh, put out the scoffers. Can I just end with this word tonight? Jesus puts them out of the house and says, uh, I'm gonna do something that nobody expects. Uh, I'm gonna raise this little girl from the dead. Put out the scoffers. I, I learned this um, uh, in a fun, there's a fun story I'd like to show you uh, here. Um, this, is a, this is a church here. And that, the, 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 the main picture I wanted here is the, on the upper left-hand side there. The, see the two, there's two mud churches there. This is in the middle of the bush in the middle of Burkina Faso in West Africa. I was there um, quite a few years ago. But I, I wanted to show you that the, um, the, the two churches in the small picture um, is uh, there's, the, there's the old church. That was, and, and that the picture on the bottom there is in, inside the old church. And you have to understand, these people live in like mud huts and there's, you know, the nearest town is like 100 miles away and it's a small town. Like it's, it's way out in the middle of the bush. But there's, the story on this is so cool. When, when we went out there, um, we went out with Jan and Jerry Swanson, friends of mine who, uh, they were just known for helping people in Burkina Faso, Africa. But um, um, th the story is really quick, I'll, I'll give it to you. Basically this little church, they were booming. Uh, people would come from all over to try to meet Jesus in this little church that's falling apart on the right there. Um, so the church built out of mud, literally out of the ground right there. They built mud bricks and they built the church on the left. The problem is those, that's great and everything, but they have no money, they have no way to put a roof on a mud church. So when they built the church, people around, the Muslims particularly all over that neighborhood were saying, where are you gonna get a roof for your church? And they said, we're, we're believing that God is gonna provide a church roof for us. And, uh, and the Muslims laughed them to scorn. They literally would come to the church on Sunday and make fun of them. Where's your roof? As the church was still meeting in the little tiny mud church with the thatched leaves and stuff as sort of a roof. And they're like, when are you gonna get your church roof? Well, what's so cool about this story is um, we got to be used by the Lord to be the answer to their prayer. We got to be the people that brought the, the, the metal and the trusses. Uh, and I know they're pretty shabby if you look closely, but to them, that's, a, that's like a $2,000 investment that they didn't have. This church, for them to get a $2,000 roof on their church would be like Athey Creek, you know, um, you know getting uh, Fry's Electronics to, to meet in on Sunday morning. Uh, it would be the same kind of thing. Like it, it's so unlikely or whatever, you know. Um, but it, it, it's, what's, it's, what, it's what happened. And we got to be there. So, so this is a true story. The Muslims came to make fun and then suddenly there's a roof on this building and the Muslims all repented and they all became Christians and part of this church because they, they, it's, it's a great story. Because they, they said, there's no way you could have had that unless God, um, they, they said, that, that's God who showed up, you know? So it's kind of cool. Um, don't let people discourage you. You know, I think sometimes in America, we have so many things available to us. We don't really have to believe in faith that things are gonna happen. But what about some of those things the Lord has shown you that he wants to do through you? You're like, yeah, I don't know. And people will laugh at you and all that. Put them out, put out the scoffers and trust in Jesus. That's what Jesus does here and the girl is raised from the dead. I love that. Well, there it is, chapter eight, uh, chapter nine, Lord willing, next week, let's pray. And Lord, how thankful we are for your word that's living and powerful, and, and I pray that you just uh, help each one of these parts of this chapter just to penetrate our hearts, uh, that it might sink into the soil deeply, 
and bring forth good fruit. Bless the people who put in time this evening. We give our, our lives to you and pray your blessing on each person here and watching online in Jesus' name, amen.